You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. We're here in February and it's the time of year whenever we look forward to the way things are going to be unfolding up there in the spring. You know, the breeding season is not too far away. Actually, we're recording this on February 14th, Valentine's Day. So it's probably appropriate that we start to think about waterfowl breeding season. And, and the first part of that is, of course, to get a glimpse of how the prairies are shaping up and that involves snowpack and all that type of stuff. And anybody that's familiar with the podcast will know the person that we are going to be reaching out to for this. One of our favorite guests, Dr. Scott Stevens. Joining us all the way from Manitoba, Canada, Dr. Scott Stevens. I don't know if he's riding in on a horse, but he might as well be. Scott, (laughs) welcome back to the podcast, man. Yep. Good to be with you guys, Mike. And joining me here in studio is my co-host, Chris Jennings. Chris, great to have you here as well. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. We don't have any any walk-up music for you, Chris. Uh, nor, that's fine. Nor for me, and that's appropriate. We don't need it. I guess we get the <laughs> podcast intro music. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. 
Scott, it has been a little while since we've talked with you. I don't remember when that was. Maybe, I guess it would perhaps December, something like that, as things were, were closing down up there. But, uh, yep, we, we're looking forward to, to spring and going to rely on you to give us a bit of an update. Before we do that and ask you for sort of a report on on snow conditions, etc., I think Chris wanted to ask you a question, maybe reflecting on some of uh, some of the past hunting season. Chris? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk a lot about, especially this time of year, uh, Mike's working on his season and review document that we'll distribute and we'll have some podcasts in regards to that. Um, and we kind of take a look back at the full season. Um, and the first place we start, obviously, you know, is up there in Canada with you guys. And I just wanted to know if you, throughout the whole course of the season um, up there, if you noticed anything different as far as as, you know, just the pace of the migration, you know, what what caused some things to maybe get started or slow down? I know it was pretty warm up there early, then you guys got really cold quick, so it's kind of a start and stop deal. Um, but anything that you noticed out of the ordinary throughout the, the course of the whole season, um, just kind of, you know, discuss that and, and see, uh, really, I just wanted to pick your brain on it. Yeah, no, Chris. It it. I'll admit it seems like a lifetime ago. It does. And, and and Mike, I thought you wanted me to provide the ice fishing report. Like that's <laughs> that's just picking up up here. So we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Okay. No, but but I think I think you're right, Chris. That we were warm and didn't have much weather to move birds early on. So you know we kind of we kind of had what I would say is typical migration. You know the birds that are migrating kind of based on the calendar and not the weather did their thing, and then we did get the cold weather later on that sent birds south and pushed out things like mallards and Canada geese and those kind of species that are more pushed by weather conditions. And uh, then you know once birds left here, I understand. We, we actually got real winter in kind of the upper Midwest and moved birds way down south. Um, so everybody got their crack at them. But yeah, that, that's the way I would characterize the season here, um, you know, is is pretty normal. It was, I had some really good hunts in early November, but um, that was that was kind of the end of things as things locked up here. And you guys held blue wings up there for quite a while due to that kind of warm, just kind of lingering early fall that you guys had. You know, I know, and we had talked about that before on an earlier podcast, but one thing that we noticed this year, and I was hunting in Arkansas and Mississippi and West Tennessee, um, and I heard a lot more reports of guys shooting blue wings well into January this year. Um, so that was kind of a, that's okay. that, that's that reverse migration. Uh, it kind of, kind of jumped out. <laughs> yeah. It kind of jumped out to me, um, that, you know, and I, and I know you spend a lot of time chasing blue wings. Did you get some extra time there? Yeah. Blue wings were, were definitely around here and we didn't have any of those cold snaps that kind of sent them, you know, on their way out of here, you know, early or anything. So Blue wings were around. I, I chase those guys as much as I can until they kind of wane and until mallards get colored up and those kind of things. So yeah, it was it was a good season. There were there were plenty of blue wings around. Um, you know, overall, I know we talked about this before. It was definitely a contrast to the previous season where, you know, many of the birds were adults. That was the case for blue wings and everything else. And and this year you could definitely see that contrast where we did have production, there were young birds in the fall flight. And I, I think that probably translated as the birds went south too. 
something that that you said, Scott, made me want to ask you this question. It's something that I heard a fair bit of throughout the season. It was a bit unusual, maybe unexpected, kind of given what we saw from the breeding population estimates last year. But and and it was for more than one person. I think Chris even heard it as well. People were these are anecdotes, but nevertheless, these are observations from the field, and they were fairly consistent. That one of the surprising things that people down here were noting was an unusually unusually large number of pintails. And mm. some were flocks of young birds that as best they could tell. Um, did you, when you were hunting there in the fall up in Prairie, Canada, did you happen to notice what appeared to you as an unusual number of pintails or anything of that nature? Because I, and I, I bring this up, of course, because people that have been paying attention to the duck populations last year know that pintail BPOP estimate was really low, and we were hoping for a good breeding effort on uh, on their part. And maybe we got it, but we don't don't really know, don't have that data yet. But did you notice anything in procure, uh, particular about pintails? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and you know, I would say you know when I was in Saskatchewan, um, pintails weren't noteworthy there, but but I also reflect and it's like, well, the areas that I was in in Saskatchewan were, were not super wet. You know, they were, they were still, you know, they were not as dry as they were the year before, but they had not fully recovered. So, you know, I, I didn't see probably the normal pintails that, that you can see in Saskatchewan when things are wetter there. Now in Manitoba, we shot pintails and shot pintails late and probably harvested some of the nicest pintail drakes that I've ever harvested in this part of the world. You know, they didn't have sprigs like you guys get down there in January, but they were nice birds. So, you know, areas that had water like southwestern Manitoba seemed to produce pintails uh, amongst a whole suite of other species too. I, I wanted to ask that, I guess just out of curiosity, it's not as though we can do anything with that information, with those anecdotal observations. It's just something that was mentioned to be at least a half a dozen times from people that hunt in different geographies. And I'm talking vastly different geographies from the West Coast of the U.S. to uh, Louisiana to Arkansas uh, and Mississippi. And maybe, I mean, pintails are just an incredibly beautiful bird and they always stand out. And so if you see more than a handful, you're going to note that. But uh, this it just seemed to be a bit of a... Um, unusual, unusually consistent observation from different locations. And and I guess if nothing else, maybe that gives us some optimism that they did recruit well or reproduce well last year. And maybe that'll show up in the BPOP this year if um, if conditions there on the prairies are such that that they settle in the areas where we have great, um, great survey coverage. So that probably leads us to, uh, to talking about habitat conditions there. So what can you tell us about that, Scott? I mean, either building on that little comment about pintails, but um, yeah, how how do you think things are going to shape up, or how are they there right now? Mike, we were talking earlier. You get kind of the same update maps from Environment and Climate Change Canada on snowpack for the Canadian prairies as I do. I think those come weekly these days, um, and, and the last one we had was was last week. And I looked. I looked at that one before we were getting together here. And I'll admit, when I looked at that, I was a bit surprised. It's like, okay, yeah, we have some snowpack across the parklands, but when I look at that map, 
it tells me that kind of the more southern prairie areas, especially in Saskatchewan and Alberta, still don't have a ton of snow. And, you know, what we've got out there, I would say, you know, from from my perspective is not kind of going to change conditions out on the landscape dramatically. So we had better water in the parklands last year, um, you know, which was a recovery from the previous year, but still those prairie areas don't look like to me, they're going to end up being sopping wet. Now I should say there's a decent amount of winter left up here. You know, we can get snow into March and even April and those tend to be our snowiest months, but with the snowpack we've got, I'm I'm not sort of optimistic we're going to end up in you know one of those situations that uh, that Johnny Lynch would say, hey, you know, when the prairies are wet, we're in full production, and uh, you know things are going to be great. It it doesn't look to me like we're setting the stage for those kind of conditions, especially in those prairie areas. We're probably not in a situation too different from where we were last year. With the exception of last year, we were still dealing with the lingering effects of like the historic drought of 2021. But this time last year, we were we were not optimistic either. Uh, writing up the season in review report that Chris mentioned a, a moment ago, I'm reflecting on some notes over the past year. And uh, and that was the case. As, as late as late January, we were not optimistic about the about getting significant relief from that 2021 and prior drought. It wasn't until, I guess, February, March, and then even into April when we saw some significant snowfall events, spring blizzards uh, come across right. mostly the prairies. Well, I guess the prairies of the uh, the Dakotas and then southwestern Manitoba, a little bit of southeastern Saskatchewan. Uh, western prairies, as we talked about last year, were still largely dry. So uh, to your point, Scott, there's there's still a fair bit of time remaining. Last year, we saw it turn around and produce some really good breeding habitat conditions there on the um, southern portion of the prairies. And we can hope for the same. We really need that western prairie landscape of Saskatchewan, Alberta uh, to get wet again. It's It's been quite a while since we've seen widespread, excellent habitat conditions there, right? Yeah, and I, I would say this ties back to the discussion about pintails. You know, we're going to have really healthy populations of continental pintails when southern Alberta and southern Saskatchewan is wet. And it's been a while since we've been in that situation. Um, you know, last year we had some water in, in more non-traditional pintail areas like southern Manitoba. And I think those birds took advantage, found the water there and, and did okay. And, you know, that may explain... You know, we had production in non-traditional areas. Migration paths may have been slightly different because of that. And, you know, that may explain why people saw pintails in places that, you know, they aren't used to seeing that many pintails. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. 
Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Hey, Scott, this is just kind of an educational question, and, I, and I, I pretty much know the answer, and I know Mike does as well. Um, but, you know, what needs to happen to generate those excellent habitat conditions? So, like, if I'm a U.S. waterfowler and I'm looking at the weather map up, you know, across the prairies into Canada and, and even further north, like, what should people be looking for? Like, is it a consistent rainstorm? Is it one big snow dump? Like, what exactly will provide those excellent conditions? Yeah, that is a good question, Chris. And and I think what produces those conditions is kind of what we had happen last year in that we had some low-pressure systems, you know, late in the winter in you know, in March that kind of rolled into some areas of the prairies like the Dakotas and Southern Manitoba. And, you know, we had kind of a a steady train of those where there were a few of them and we got, you know, three or four inches of snow and then we might've got six inches of snow and then we got another dump of six or eight inches of snow. And then last year, actually, you know, as, as things were thawing out, then we got sort of a low pressure system that came as rain and, you know, it was all melting and we were adding rain on top of that. And, and that really improved things in Southern Manitoba. So we need kind of that progression of low pressure systems that are trekking across Southern Alberta and Southern Saskatchewan. And we probably need a few of them, you know, to kind of begin that cycle and that, that track that is, moving precipitation across those areas and, you know, accumulating that. And, and then, you know, usually with those systems, it's followed by some wind that blows it around and blows a bunch of the snow into the wetland basins. And, you know, the snow that's not in there will run off and end up in those come springtime. So that's kind of what we need. And, you know, at this stage, we could definitely still get that. But just when I look at the snowpack that we have right now, we don't, we don't, you know, we haven't had that happen. So we aren't going to have those conditions if if things don't change before the melt here. Yeah, I think that paints a good picture for people just kind of to visualize, uh, you know, because 
I've even, you know, gotten emails and questions already this early in the season. Like, what do you think the production is going to be like? Oh, I, you know, it can change tomorrow. Right. You know, yeah, like, that's right. I, I'm not necessarily the guy to ask, but I think that does paint a good picture for our listeners to understand what's needed to add water to that habitat to create just a better level of, of breeding habitat up there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the one thing I would add to here is, um, this past weekend and and even yesterday, we had conditions where we actually creeped above the freezing mark and there was a bit of melting going on, like the roads were melting off here. And that is probably not ideal, you know, us losing the snowpack this far from when the runoff typically happens and when birds will be showing up. So that's kind of what we, we don't want to see that warm up happen in, you know, February when the birds are going to be showing up in you know, early April. Um, so we'd prefer to keep those temperatures below freezing, accumulate some of that snow. That that will result in those conditions. But you can definitely have those earlier warm-ups where you begin to lose some of the snowpack too. Scott, do you have a read on snow conditions in the Dakotas? Because they received a lot more snow than I think southern Canada did. Um, and and I ask that because, of course, the, the Red River drains from the Dakotas and up through Winnipeg are there. And, and so that type of melt and runoff is that, that occurs in the Dakotas is important from a flood protection standpoint there in, in southern Manitoba. Any you have, have a read on any of that? Any flood concerns at this point? I, I haven't heard. It, it's a little bit early for us to start getting flood reports. Um, you know, that usually will come starting in March. But my impression is the same as yours, Mike. I think they did get more snow um, earlier this winter in, in North Dakota. And I think they may be in better shape for snowpack and some of those things. So, you know, you'll typically hear us talk about the fact that the geography of the prairies is pretty big. And, you know, we hope we have good conditions in some parts of it. And so if we are indeed set up with better conditions in the Dakotas, that's good. You know, that we at least have parts of that production system that will be in good shape. But yeah, you know, we're, we're, we can use some more snow to set us up for those ideal conditions on the Canadian prairies. Okay. So I have a couple of other questions for you. This one, this next one here, uh, I'm going to see how you handle this. What's okay. All right. So last year, the breeding population estimate for the traditional survey area, total ducks was 34.2 million, right? Yeah. What is Dr. Scott Stevens going to put the over-under at for this year? Well, it's definitely going to be above that, right? Because we had we had improved production compared to where we were the year before. Um, hmm, good question. I'll say... That's why I asked it. I'm known for good questions once a week. Yeah, <laughs> once a week. I'll say... I'll say 38 million given given ah. the conditions I'm looking at now. All right. You know, if that that's where we'll go. 38. You heard it here first, the over under from Dr. Scott Stevens is 38. Lock it in. I'm going to be a little pessimistic. I'm going to say 36.5. It is above the 34.2. Mathematicians out there can corroborate that, but um yeah, I'm going to go 36.5. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We'll lock those in. Jennings, do you want to get on the record? Not yet. I'm no. going to wait to see the weather. Okay. That's that's a smarter move, Chris. That's yeah, so you can't put me on the spot. You got, hey, you guys you guys are the experts. <laughs> okay. All right. So the, the final question unless Chris has anything else. I wanted I did want to hear about the extracurriculars that's been going on up there after the duck season has closed and so you transitioned from from chasing feathered animals to uh chasing furry animals and scaly animals. Tell us about all that. 
Yeah. So November and December after the ducks leave is kind of trapping season. So I, I, I trek about an hour north, kind of into the southern edge of the boreal forest, and I trap some martin and fisher. And it was a pretty average year for that. I caught six martin and one fisher. So that keeps me out of trouble. Do you have a hat that reads Jean-Pierre? Because I believe that's your trapper nickname, right? I, I don't have a hat like that. I do have, it, it would be a toque up here. I have a toque that has two Martin tails, like as tassels on the hat. So I remember, I remember seeing that photo and I think I accused you of having a squirrel attached to the back of your head. (laughs) I told you to turn around. There's an animal on the back of your head. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I have one of those. Um, yeah. And then more recently, kind of in December and January and on into February, I have been ice fishing, which it actually picks up as we get into March and that's kind of prime time. So, so so let me, so ice fishing, why would a person want to go out and catch ice? Well, you're, you're catching fish through a hole. Oh, okay. Spoken Spoken like a true Mississippi native. Yeah. Now, now this is interesting. I actually think at this point, I enjoy catching fish through the ice better than I do out of a boat during the the summertime. Hmm. Um, Yeah. So, Let's see. This we're, past we're, we're talking walleye. We're talking walleye. Yeah, I'm fishing on Lake Winnipeg. You know, it's it's a big lake, pretty shallow. And uh, like I was out this past weekend on Saturday by myself, you know, I put a bunch of stuff in the sled. I hike about a mile out on the ice. There are lots of other people. Well, some people take snowmobiles and tracked vehicles and things like that. Some people drive their trucks. Those people who drive their trucks usually spend some time getting unstuck. And I know how long the walk is. I don't know how long I might spend if I was trying to get my truck unstuck. So I walk. Now, you don't walk every time because you had some sort of fancy uh, machine out there, at least in one of the photos. I did. Yeah. One of my duck hunting buddies, he has a friend who had a snow bear, which is kind of the ideal machine for ice fishing. It's this tracked vehicle and you can go anywhere. And then when you're ready to fish, it lowers down like onto the top of the ice and you drill the hole inside this machine and you fish and actually you never have to get out of the machine if you don't want to. So that's lazy that was, man's fishing. That's right what I'm there. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was pretty cool. And, yeah. And we did, we did catch some fish, but they were a little finicky that time. Like we fished for two days and I caught nothing the first day and I caught two fish the next day. Now, the preferred bait for walleye in Manitoba, what are we talking about, night crawlers here? No, we are not talking about <laughs> night crawlers. Um, yeah, ice fishing is interesting. Uh, vertical jigging spoons are kind of the go-to, although on Lake Winnipeg, lots of people talk about rattle baits, rattle baits. I've got about five different rattle baits, which are like lipless crank baits that you attach kind of on the top of them. And they rattle and they make a bunch of noise. And uh, I have yet to catch a fish on a on a rattle bait, even though they're supposed to be awesome on Lake Winnipeg. But I catch fish on those on those vertical jigging spoons. And then you usually put like a salted minnow on the hook and jig around. So, do you have a favorite lure? Because these fishing lures get all these fancy names, like the pink sparkled unicorn or something like that. You know, the green green frog or, or I mean, green frog probably isn't all that charismatic, but you know, in, these fancy names, anything, what's your favorite? Well, I, I have a couple and I should tell a story. Like I've, I've got a friend that I fish with and his wife actually has a lure just like that, that she calls pink Whitney. Okay. And, and it is a small pink rattle bait. I actually found, uh, 
found a Pink Whitney when I was at the Wisconsin State Convention a couple of weeks ago. I bought Pink Whitney, and I have yet to replicate her success when I am fishing with Pink Whitney. Mm-hmm. So um, my go-to right now, what's been working is it's called a PK Spoon. Um, I think I think actually they're they're made in South Dakota, maybe. Um, so they're uh, a jigging spoon, like I described. They've got a little willow leaf blade on on the top that kind of flutters and flashes as you jig it up and down, and that has been working. Um, you know, weekend before last, I was out with uh, a colleague, and the bite was hot from like nine until ten, and we. We kept six fish. I caught one that was a little bigger that I put back put back down the the hole to to grow bigger or lay some eggs this spring. And uh, yeah, so we that, had good success. And it was the PK spoons. I in fact, after I caught a few fish, I just said, "Here, I've got another one of these." Put this, this is on. too easy. This is too- oh, yeah. I thought you handed your your rod and reel to the other fella. No, 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 I gave him I gave him a PK spoon okay. out of my tackle box, and then he was catching fish too. Now, are you the type that has the camera down below the surface of the ice so you're actually seeing the fish bite the lure? Is that, is that that's pretty common, right, with ice fishing these days? Yeah, te- technology has come a long ways. I would I would tell you, just this year, I got my first sonar unit, and mine is a very entry level one. But when I was with the guy in the snow bear, he had the top of the line. Um, one of the top of the line ones is called live scope. It's made by Garmin. Um, and it is like watching a video game, you know, and, and there were fish that we could see, usually you're jigging along the bottom, but there were fish that were coming in suspended up, you know, at like five feet or six feet below the ice and we'd reel up and we'd try to entice them. And without that technology, I probably wouldn't have known that those fish were up there and you wouldn't even had a chance, even though they were finicky when we were when we were fishing that that week despite knowing they're down there now it's still just as much fun to catch them though it is yeah in fact i would say that there are some guys who who post on the social media groups that i follow now for ice fishing who will show the video of their live scope and you can see all the fish down there it's just like they are not playing the game that day so sometimes i think it's more frustrating but uh at, at least you know they're there so you know, there's sometimes that it's like, do I pick up and move somewhere else? And it's like, well, if you know they're there, probably not. You just try and throw everything out of your tackle box you can think of to get them to bite. And some days that doesn't work. Well, how many more weeks of uh, ice fishing do you anticipate? What's the thickness of the ice up there? Uh, I've got the extension on my ice auger. So we're Ooh, probably goodness. at 30 inches, 36 <sighs> inches of ice. Yeah. So we will be ice fishing typically until the early part of April and then the season closes here. I think whatever that weekend, the first week of April is, that's when it closes, but we will fish until then. And, uh, actually it's, it's the best late in the, late in the spring like that. Um, and during, during March, March, they kind of call it, call it March madness up here. Only it's not the basketball variety. It's the fish variety. And some of the Vanguard on the duck side, ducks and geese, well, geese will be there well in advance of that. But on the duck side, they start showing up in late April, don't they? Or am I thinking, yeah. Yeah, is that, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, they start showing up in, in late April, mallards and pintails. Um, but, you know, these, these big lakes that we're fishing on, that ice is so thick. There are some years that the ice on that lake won't go off until at least late May or early June, some yeah. years. So, but the ice on those shallower, smaller wetlands, it, it breaks up way, way sooner. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. As as 
you know, I, re- I remember learning that lesson when I was down south, Mike. It's like, yep, those shallow areas freeze up first, but they also thaw first. <laughs> That's so. right. Uh, okay, Scott, this has been uh, this has been a great little update here. Still in early February, we will reconnect with you here in a couple of months. I would imagine uh, once once we get a better handle on what pond conditions are going to be like as we maybe hopefully get more weather systems move in and see what the pace of melt is going to be. Uh, maybe by then, Chris will be confident enough to give out his uh, his best guess. <laughs> his at, prediction. At, at, that's right, at what, what our BPOP is going to be. So uh, anything, any final comments there, Chris? Nope, I think we're good. I think uh, it's exciting. Just kind of get an update just on the snowpack. You know, people are talking about it. Duck season just ended two weeks, less than two weeks ago. That's right. People are already looking forward to it. People are already looking for information. So that's an exciting thing for us because uh, we can bring people like you on here, Scott, and provide that information. Yeah. Happy to do that. Scott, thank you so much for joining us, man. We'll catch up with you later. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Scott Stevens, all the way from Manitoba, Canada, up there in the Great White North this time of year. He's ice fishing, trapping, and doing all sorts of other fun stuff. Thank my co-host, Chris Jennings, for joining me here in studio. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great work that he does. And then to you, the listener, we thank you for your time, and we thank you for your support of Wetlands and Waterfowl Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists conservationists. with the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.